Welcome. It's Dr. James Beckett again, Sports Card Insights here with Torsten Bauer, maybe setting a record for the most long distance podcast. It's coming from Frankfurt, Germany. So we're going to enjoy our conversation. And he was, uh, he wrote in and expressed that the part of the perception of uh, Beckett Magazine over the years was the importance it had to some of the international customers. And I know when we were, when I was doing the magazine, we had a lot of interest for certain sports in certain parts of the world. And we did, we'd ship them out there. Basketball was huge in Australia. Uh, Scandinavia was huge on hockey. In fact, we had a hockey edition and, but Germany is a wonderful company country. <laughs> it's I one fourth German myself. Uh, if I look at my four grandparents, one grandparent was uh, originally from, from Germany. And then I look at my wonderful wife, and she has four grandparents of German descent. So I'm a fan of the German people, and, and especially German collectors. So Torsten Bauer, welcome to the show. And uh, tell us a little bit about your collecting origin story of how you were able to seem like really enjoy the hobby in spite of being mainly in Germany for the last 25 years of your collecting. Thank you, James, for having me. It's, it's a great pleasure. Yes, as you said, I'm from Germany and I'm collecting cards since 1995, so 25 years now. And when I started, I was a 12-year-old boy and it became popular at school, at my school, to collect basketball cards. I wasn't into basketball at all. It was not a very popular sport in Germany back then. But through the cards, I became a huge fan of basketball, especially Shaquille O'Neal and the Lakers. First, the Orlando Magic, then the Lakers. Uh, and yes, it, it's, it's a great hobby. Now, it, it, in, in the beginning, it was not, not very easy because in Germany, before the internet, we didn't have a lot of stores where you could collect or buy basketball cards, especially you couldn't buy singles. You, you had to buy packs and boxes, maybe. So it was pretty hard to get insert cards. Yes, we, we had to bring... Were you were you encouraged to go for the inserts, or how did you know that the inserts were better, or from the Beckett magazine, perhaps? Yes, of course. <laughs> Honestly, the, the Beckett magazine was the only source of information that we had about the hobby because there we, we had the checklists, we, we we had the values of the cards, and it was very important for us because without the Beckett, we wouldn't have known how how to trade the cards because there are so many products with so many different prices attached to them. And, and each product had uh, insert cards with different odds. So it, it was pretty hard. But with the Beckett, we could trade a $20 card for, for $5 cards, for example. Yeah. And, and it was essential for us to have it. Torsten, nowadays, people don't want to trade their $20 card for five uh, for four or $5 cards or five $4 cards. It seems like there's been a, a more a greater appreciation for the more valuable cards that people don't want to trade their valuable cards for less valuable cards. Was that the case in those days? Not really. We were kids and honestly, we didn't have a lot of really valuable cards because those were hard to get. We had maybe three shops where we could buy cards and maybe 20 to 30 schoolmates who, who bought the cards. So there was not a lot of great cards out there to trade for. And, and we really traded straight up the, the Beckett prices. Was there any trading uh, of, because there sur surely were soccer uh, stickers and things like that. Mm -hmm. Was there any trading of, of cards for stickers? Or were it stickers for stickers and cards for cards? No, I, I don't remember that. We, we traded 
stickers for stickers straight up there, there was no backhead there was there were no really insert cards so you just traded them straight up your doubles you traded them the rest you <laughs> glued in your album and uh, cards were a total different thing so your collecting goal it would have been an unre unrealistic goal to try to get complete sets of everything so you at some point decided to focus on was it mainly about Shaquille O'Neal and Orlando Magic or mainly about Shaq and he just happened to be on the Magic and then he went to the Lakers? Were you a Shaq guy? I started off being an Orlando Magic guy. I didn't know a lot about basketball, but I knew that Shaq was the best player and, and I liked his physique, his style of play. Uh, I used to be a wrestling fan, so maybe that, that okay. had something to do with it. Yeah. Could be. He but, could be like Andre the Giant. <laughs> yes, yes correct. Yeah. And then... I realized even collecting Orlando Magic cards was just too much. So I just focused maybe two or three months in uh, on collecting Shaquille O'Neal cards. Okay. And again, I have to bring this up because I'm in Dallas here. This is all uh, Dirk at this point, Dirk Nowitzki is still playing tennis, I think. He, he <laughs> wasn't really, he was in high school or middle school or something in 95. Mm -hmm. And he comes on the scene a few years later. Did you switch your loyalties to Dirk? At, at some point or how I, I thought Dirk was the the patron saint of basketball in Germany when I started it was Detlef Schrempf he was the first well, European Dallas uh, Maverick yeah for, yeah for, for, correct but but I, I didn't switch by the time Dirk came into the NBA I was such a Shaq fan that there was no way for me to switch of course I like Dirk especially at the national team but yeah. when it was Dallas against Lakers, of course, I was rooting for the Lakers. <laughs> uh, you're, you're hurting me, Torsten. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. But Shaq was one of the. Is part of why you like Shaq because of his personality? Yes, also, of course, because he's a very funny guy and his interviews. Back then, we, we didn't have a lot of broadcasting, NBA broadcasting, maybe two shows a week. One was a game that, that was broadcasted, and one was, yeah, like a magazine where it was. A summary of the whole NBA week yeah. and yeah of course he had some interviews and but it was also mainly stats yeah, Shaq was a very dominant player and but the, the most information that we get about basketball cards was from the Beckett actually okay what did you um I know but you only had certain cards that were there did you the Shaq was part of the you could do a whole chapter on Shaq about the history of the hobby because Shaq was critical was like one of the key guys in the development of classic, the classic mm -hmm. cards that Ken Golden and his dad started. And basically that was a, a draft pick set. And by signing Shaq in 92, that uh, really put them on the map and made, it was challenging for our Beckett magazine because they weren't, they weren't really fully licensed NBA cards, but they had Shaq and they had some mm -hmm. Shaq autograph cards. I, I don't think those wound up, very many of those wound up in Germany. You mainly... I think Upper Deck was very aggressive internationally. Maybe Fleer, Ultra, some of those. My yeah, yes, the Collector's Choice, the German uh, version choice. of Collector's Choice, yeah. it was the most popular at the time because you could find those cards at grocery stores and right. all over the place, supermarkets. Also the Fleer, the European version of Fleer. But what did we didn't actually, we didn't like those because they were not uh, priced in the monthly baggage magazine. So we thought they were without value. Uh, well, they would be difficult to trade, but like I said, maybe the collector's choice, those are like a parallel set. Did you just treat them as the same price as the American version? Actually, we, we completely refrain from collecting those. You start with the packs, but everybody at school said, no, nah, they're worthless. They're not in, in the backhead. So 
those were for the younger collectors and we focused on the american brands wow well, and nowadays i'm actually chasing the german collectors <laughs> choice in the field because they are easy to get I know. And cheap and, and i like them because they have some the collector's choice they have a german translation exactly they helped me to to learn english yeah because when i started collecting that was the first year when english was introduced at school and they, they so, helped me develop it like i said we had a licensed edition in sweden and, and finland but we never had a german translated edition to my knowledge of, you know, of baseball or basketball or anything like that and so are you saying that you learned reading and math from the backs of the cards or mainly math and english you, you and the magazines because the magazines were in english so you were you were reading mm -hmm. the price guide but you were also reading the articles and learning english correct play? in the beginning our english wasn't strong enough to read the magazine really we just focused on the price cards but after one or two years of, of english studies we could read them the magazines and there were very useful information in there like the q a sector Right. This is where I actually uh, realized that the, the German version was not worthless because there was a Q&A yeah, yeah. about, about them <laughs> maybe uh, two years later. Yeah, We, we had so much, uh, I don't want to use the word, I'm saying pressure, but it wasn't mean pressure. But every one of the card companies, the FLIR, Upper Deck, all of them really wanted to have all their sets listed in the monthly price guide. And we just had to make choice. And Classic was another one. We just had to make choices. And as you've seen, and, and what you were writing to me is that the magazine has continued to grow and get thicker and more yes. pages. But in those days, we really were trying to manage the growth. And so some of those collectors' choice, they had German. You want that. But they also had Italian. They had French. They had Japanese. So uh, yes. they had Spanish. Uh, so they had a bunch of different. And like I said, some of them. Okay. So in your pursuit. Okay. So you're learning to read. And your friends are learning to read, and that that, I, that makes me feel good. It wasn't the the primary purpose of the magazine, but I always <laughs> thought that it was good to have a price guide that had a magazine too. A lot of mm -hmm. uh, there were other magazines out there that didn't have price guides, and the price guides out there that didn't have a magazine component. But trying to help people understand collecting, understand the sport, understand the players—that's that, that, it was really helpful for us. Yeah. And you really, came really great you, information. You came to the United States. You've been here. You've traveled. Or did you? How did you come the first time? The very first time with my parents. I was in fourth grade, third or fourth grade, and back then I, I was a huge America fan due to movies and and toys and everything. But I wasn't a basketball fan back then. But we traveled to Florida, so that's why I was attached to the Orlando Magic. <laughs> so you went to Disney. Yes, of course, Disney well, World and. MGM Studios, yeah. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I mean, I think that was part of the reason there was a team put there because there's not that much population compared to New York or Los Angeles or even Dallas in Orlando. Hmm. But and they had a great ride there for a while with with uh, Shaq and and all that. Yes. But and then you've been back since to America. Yeah, a couple of times later, we had another family vacation when I was in seventh grade, and also when I was collecting for two years, and this was huge for me because. For the first time, we could go to flea markets and card shows and, and really buy singles yeah. for the very first time in my life. And I could, oh, I spent a lot of money. <laughs> One of the things that, that I wanted to get in with you, because we're going to stop in just a, a couple of minutes here. But basically, you have told me that you still 
hold the the magazine, the, the Beckett magazine. Yes, you're pretty serious about that. That your desire is to buy cards that are at that price or lower, and so yes, you're sir. able to say, I don't want to pay more than that. And so, how do you make that decision? Because some of the cards that are especially rare, frequently they're asking for more. Yeah, that's correct. But still, I don't have the super rare cards right now. I, um, the rarest cards I have are in the 100, maybe 150 dollar range. And I still, for me, I think Beckett is, is still a reliable source of, of pricing information, and it's a steady source of information. It's not like in eBay right now that the prices soar and I'm patient. I can wait another year or two years. I don't have to buy this exact card right now because there's a huge hype around this card. I can wait another one, two years. And most of the times the cards came back to the packet value. It's my experience. That's a very positive note to end on. It's actually something that other people are hoping for because when prices are going up all the time, this fear of missing out, that it's never going to go back down. And I'm not going to be saying that everything is going to come back down, but certain things will, certain things won't, and no one knows the future. So, Torsten, I'm really glad I was able to uh, visit with you and and hope things are, are well in uh, Germany, in uh, Frankfurt, and uh, hope you'll Thank you. be safe and uh, hope you can, it'd be really cool if you could get over here for a National Sports Collectors Convention. It's pretty uh, That would be great. Be in Chicago this summer. And there are a fair number of international people that come over. So, Torsten Bauer, thank you for sharing your collecting experience. Thanks, listeners. We'll be back again uh, tomorrow with another episode. The man in the house who calls-